Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. Yay, we're back. Yay, we're back. Did you have a nice break? It has been nice because I've transitioned to a new job, which I'll talk about later. But um, it was nice to have a little bit of a break. But I'm really excited today to talk about making friends in adulthood. Me too. Yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. Before we get too into it, though, I want to uh, share some fun Apple reviews. We've got a few new ones um, on our podcast. Yay! Uh, So thank you to everybody that has left us a review. And here's a couple of new ones. We have one from Rev Jan Todd. They say, this podcast is like a mini intensive retreat where you are both fed and challenged. And I Aww. love that. I think that's really nice. And then one, Yeah. <laughs> Badger in DC says, it's like sitting down with your friends and talking about impossible, important feminist issues. And I mm. love that. Um, so thank you both for your reviews and um, reviews. If you have a chance to leave us one, we love reviews because they help people find our show. They boost our ratings in the like when people are searching for new podcasts, we are more likely to show up if we have more reviews and more ratings. And if you subscribe, so the more subscribers we have in um, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, the more likely we are to show up in searches for new content. So yeah, we always appreciate folks who review and rate and subscribe. And with more gratitude, we want to thank our new patrons. And our patrons are folks who have signed up to support us every month to cover the cost of the show. You can become a Patreon on our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash kindreds. So we have two new patrons, Allison Anderson, who I went to college with at Davidson. She's an amazing um, entrepreneur in her own right. So we have a lot in common as people who've kind of carved our own paths. And she's been listening to Kindreds from the beginning. So we're really glad to have you uh, as a patron. And the other is Catherine Fannin, who found us through Pulpit Fiction. So we're so glad to have some new listeners over from the Pulpit Fiction podcast. Yay! Welcome, Allison and Catherine. Yay! And speaking of patron, if you sign up to be a patron on our Patreon site, you get a Uh, invitation to our exclusive Facebook group. And one of the things that we like to do there is poll our folks about what they want this podcast to be about. And so during the break, we asked them what they wanted to talk about on this episode, and they all voted to talk about making friends in in adulthood, which is something that I've heard lots of friends just verbally talk about as something that's challenging. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, let's take it on. Let's do it today. So Ashley, why don't we share with the people how we became friends because I don't think we've talked about that no we haven't so I um this is how I remember it anyway okay Um, we can do our different stories yeah (laughs) see if they're the same (laughs) yeah a couple years ago I guess this was 2015 I was working for a community organization here run by the Methodist Church in Mississippi and we were looking at starting a new program, and I um, had been tasked with sort of surveying the resources available and people of faith in Mississippi to find out, you know, the probability of this program being successful and, and everything. And you were working at the time for the United Methodist um, General Board of Church and Society, mm-hmm. and my boss gave me your program information and said, contact this 
uh, this person and um, they can maybe point you in some directions of people to meet and some resources and things like that. And I, uh, I remember reaching out to you and you got back with me immediately and we connected about the work we do and the, um, the program that you were running at the time. And um, I just remember feeling like we connected right away mm-hmm. on a personal level. And we had, we would talk on the phone about work and it would always slowly kind of veer into personal and like more Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. And then I got to where I just really always looked forward to talking with you. And we, um, after you left GBCS and went out on your own and I started an organization out of that program, um, we just stayed friends and colleagues. And then I don't know, all of a sudden I considered you one of my closest friends. Like it was a gradual yeah. thing. We moved out of the colleague zone into the friend zone. Yeah. Or I guess we have concentric or not overlapping circles where we're yeah. where we're both, which is I think an ideal situation. We get to work with people that you're friends with and you get along yep. with. It's it's really great. I would say the story is pretty much the same on my end. And I remember when I think about the conversation, I can picture where I was in my house when I was talking to you. And I just remember thinking, wow, she really genuinely wants to learn from me. Like she genuinely wants to know about what I'm doing. And it just, you felt so receptive and interested. And that was refreshing because I think a lot of times those initial calls can feel very transactional, you know? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you my thing. Let me tell you, what, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? And it just felt a lot more organic. And the thing is, we didn't actually meet because I live in North Carolina. You're in Mississippi. We didn't Mm -hmm. meet each other until when? I mean, was it was it like when was that? (laughs) When did we meet? Was it at? Oh, you came to speak. You came to speak. Oh, yes. At at Mississippi College um, University for Women. Yes. Okay. And I drove up there and brought a friend with me um, to hear you speak on um, you're talking about advocacy around women's mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And yeah. And that, so was, that was the first time we met. 2016. Was so. that 2016? Yeah, I think so. 2016. It was there like was a definitely full a gap. Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because we probably are in the same room two or three times a year. <laughs> I know, but I would still consider you such a good friend, which I yeah. think is the beautiful thing about this age we're in, which is you can make yeah. friends without being in the same place, which. Maybe that's a good segue into talking about what was it like for you? Maybe let's back up and go to when you were a kid growing up and you made friends. Like, what was what was that like for you? Um, I'd love to hear. Yeah. You know, I've thought a lot about this. And I so for me as a kid, making friends was all about just proximity. Like the uh-huh, people yeah. that you're like the totally. people you see every day at school in your class, mm-hmm. like they become your friends or, or at church, they become your friends. And you're kind of forced to be with so many people all the time and friendships just naturally fall out of that. And so I would say like friendships were pretty easy and organic. Um, kind of the same thing happened in college or you like you live in the dorm next to a bunch of people and you become friends with them and then the people in your cohort in your classes and stuff but it wasn't until after um like I became an adult that I realized like I don't have a whole lot of friends anymore like we've all yeah. moved away and like I there's not a lot of folks that I would say anymore are like my close friends and like what happened and what do I do and how do I make new ones and it's just a big question mark 
I know. And thinking about those childhood friends where where it was about proximity, I think for me, I question, were those real friendships? I yeah. mean, were we just kind of all hanging out in the same space? But was there a real connection? I guess, you know, friendships can all, take all different kinds of forms. But yeah. I had a similar experience to you. And I went to the same school my whole life from before kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. There were people who were in my class from kindergarten even before kindergarten who I graduated high school with yeah in a small school and so similar I didn't have to really learn how to make friends I don't even know that a lot of those folks were close friends to me but I had known them for a long time Mm -hmm. so I was known although I don't know that I felt like we were close friends with each other but there's something about just kind of being in community with the same group of people over time that can feel comforting and then I went to a pretty small college too And I was friends with the people who lived on my hall, but I also did some major pivoting in college. Like, I don't know if that was your experience. I did too. Mm -hmm. So that, I actually went through several cycles of friends because I came in and I was identifying as a evangelical Christian. And so there was that group. And then like there were the women who lived on my hall, which were not really in that group, but I didn't really fit into either one. And as soon as I got out of the evangelical thing, I felt cut off from a lot of those friends who uh, you know, disagreed with some of the things that I was yeah. doing or the guy I was dating. It was such an insider-outsider thing that by my senior year, I kind of felt like I've carved my own path, but there's really nobody next to me yeah. anymore. And that that's hard. And I envy people who have those cohesive groups still that they were in in, in high school or, or college. Cause for me, that was just not my experience. Yeah. And there's a lot of folks from my, that were like childhood and high school friends that I don't miss. Mm-hmm. Um, like we grew in different directions and it's not necessarily a judgment on those people necessarily, but like, so I have talked about this on the podcast before I left my hometown, never intending to come back. And mm-hmm. here I am again. <laughs> and I did not, seek out all of those old friends from high school that are still living here. Like, yeah, I have, you know, instances where I bump into folks um, and it's always, you know, polite and like, Hey, how are you? How's it been? I love seeing your family on Facebook and stuff like that. But like there, you know, there's, there's friends for a season. And I guess that's something that I'm starting to come to learn and accept that, um, it's not a bad thing to sort of evolve out of friendships um, and to just let them be what they were at the time mm-hmm. and not need to still be that now. And um, it's harder. So it it's not, it was easier for me to kind of let go of those because they're so long ago. It's harder for me now to look at relationships that are more recent mm-hmm. that um, I guess either aren't serving me as well as they were before or their reciprocity is not there the way it was or just people have moved away. And in the last few years, I really, I do feel like my social circle has shrunk quite a bit. A few years ago, I had several women that I would consider close friends that all lived um, near me. And then um, over time, folks have gotten married, folks have moved. Um, A lot of people have moved actually. Uh, yeah, proximity is still a note, thing. Mississippi is actually experiencing more people leaving the state than coming. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a thing. They're calling mm-hmm. it the brain drain too. Like oh, people yeah. who are um, working professionals, college graduates are all leaving the state because there's not enough jobs. And so it's a real thing that I'm feeling the impact of. Yeah, I think one of the biggest 
changes for me in growing into adulthood, it's a bittersweet thing because as a child, everybody that I knew and cared for pretty much lived within 20 minutes of me. Mm -hmm. And as I went on to college and then to graduate school and then moved and then moved again, I've made amazing friends, but they don't live. Most of them Mm -hmm. don't live close by. And I don't always get to see them very often, people like you. And yet it's such a great thing to have friends in all these different areas, because if I do travel, there's always someone that I want to see and get up yeah. with. Yeah. Like, I love that part, but um, I'm always craving that moment. I don't know if there is heaven. I think about like, I don't want to miss anyone. I just want everyone yeah. I love and care about to be in the same place. And I guess our wedding was kind of that, but there's still so many people who couldn't come and people I've met since then that you know, weren't part of that. And um, I guess that's just maybe part of growing up or, or the upside and downside of moving around and not staying in the same place is that they're just going to be people you love you don't get to see all the time. Yeah. And I mean, FaceTime and phone calls are good. Um, I would say maybe in this, like, I'm a little bit phone averse in this Uh like digital age. And so I tend to text more. Um, A few of my friends and I have like group texts that Mm -hmm. are a lot of fun where we can kind of like in the moment react with we send a lot of jokes and gifts and, you know, things like that. And we can just kind of like vent a little bit about this happened today or whatever. But it's not quite the same as like seeing somebody's face and sitting down with somebody. And for those like... You know, those times in your life where you really need somebody who is right there going through something with you. Um, And that is maybe what I miss more than anything. I've always had – I used to have this um, kind of running joke with my friends in Nashville that I wanted to start a commune and have all of my friends move there and live there with me. And, like, we would have all our meals together. And I still kind of, you know, I realize that that's just not – what that's not really how life works but um but why not why does it have to be that way I feel like that's such a like a U.S. thing that I know to have your own space is the ideal in fact I was just reading a book and I'm gonna forget the name I think oh the the book of the little book of like I think which is Hmm. about a town in oh gosh is it in the Netherlands? <laughs> oh, this is bad. But they have these whole uh, little mini communities where there are maybe eight or ten houses that are all in one area. There's a giant kitchen and yes. a giant area yes. where they can have like community time. And I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember where it took place. But the model of that, of living, you know, with eight families and you take turns making dinner like why yes. can't it be that way I, I know. You know that's what I used to say like why do eight people that live next door to each other need eight different lawnmowers like why right why capitalism well yeah you know and this uh I think it kind of goes along with like how we've gotten really segregated into our nuclear families and like even staying connected with family of origin is not as uh common as it once was and like all, all of that plays into it and so sometimes I do wish like I had a neighbor across the street that was my best friend that I could just like run over and like oh my gosh I had such a hard day you want to have a glass of wine you know and I don't have anything even resembling that and so that's something that um 
I would love to cultivate somehow, but I just can't figure out how to get there. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I know. Our We have friends who live about five minutes drive away. And That's fun. Two sets of friends who live about five minutes drive. One of them has kids and one doesn't. Uh, but the, the one that has a kid is a friend from college who has a little girl who's under two. But I'm like, yes, because you operate in the same – you consume time in the same way that we do right now. You're in the yes. same life stage where you have to get up early. Your kid has to go to bed early. So we get along great – I mean – I get along great with people who don't have kids, but in terms of the way that we structure our time, yeah, it's so much easier for us to get together with people who are just in that same stage of life, which is another challenge of making friends in adulthood, if you have kids or not. Because if you're friends with people of the other group, how do you find the time to all be together? Yep. It's it's really hard. It's a big the adjustment. time and like the activities that will appeal to activities. everybody. Activities. Yeah. Like we can't yeah. get, we, we can't be drinking up until 1 a.m. in this house. No. And function the next, we have to function the next day. Yeah. And I'm still getting up in the middle of the night to feed a baby too. Yeah. Like we, we have to even tell our families, like if we do dinner or something, it's got to be like five or six o'clock with a baby. And it's, so it's kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, it's the activities that I like how you put it consume time. Like, you're right. Like, we're just in this phase right now. I would say, even after we got married, and especially now that we have a kid, it's just harder to maintain those friendships. And it's not that I don't know. Like, I wish I could kind of tell some of my single or child free friends, don't forget about me. Yeah. <laughs> just because we're kind of like out of the game right now doesn't mean that we don't want to still be invited to things and right. thought of and included. And I definitely have felt like if I could tell those friends, you know, keep inviting us to things. We might not always say yes every time, but we will like the things we can say yes to, we will say yes. And so don't take it personally if we can't come to a couple of things, but like don't stop inviting us because of that. And like come over and hang out after bedtime. We're good. We just can't leave the house. Right. So you can come over to our house. Exactly. You can come over to our house. We can play board games. We could do quiet things. Totally. <laughs> and then you have to go home at like 10 o'clock. Right. Is the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of compromise things. It won't always be like this. And when we can get a babysitter or have family watch the baby, we will. But like, also, don't give me the sense that you don't want my kid around either. Yeah. It's got to be okay for him to be there too because he's a person in my family. And and so relying on you for nourishment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't want to bring him to everything. Like, mommy needs two hands for lunch and things. But it's like... I don't know. It's it's things like that. Um, it doesn't have to be an us versus them thing. But like, I don't know. It just is an extra layer of challenge mm -hmm. to making friends in adulthood. Like I, I don't have unlimited free time and I don't have unlimited capacity and all of that. I don't know. I feel like there is an upside, though, of feeling your time squeezed no matter what, which is I think it does help us see who are the people who are really important and mm -hmm. the time that we do get together is going to be so good because yeah. it's not, we don't say, I honestly don't take it for granted as much as I used to. And when I was talking about friends who are scattered, when we're together, we get this great, usually uninterrupted time yes. to just be together. When you and I are together, mm -hmm. it's just this like intense, 
Let's have all the talks, you know, and just like soak it up. Yep. Because we don't know when yes. we'll see each other again. So there is the not really taking things for granted. Um, I really empathize with the stage that you're in. And I guess as someone who's about three years past where you are, it's gotten so much better for us. Mm. Um, I thought I would talk about some of the things that I've done to help cultivate friendships in adulthood that might be useful and maybe you can do the same thing. So one of the things that we've started to do, because what I, my, my biggest fear is that Matt and Samantha and I will be isolated because we're all Mm -hmm. super independent and Mm -hmm. our, we love routine. And when you love routine, it can be hard to break free of the routine. Mm -hmm. And if your routine is to not have people over or go out, that then becomes the reality. And so we've just incorporated community and friend making into our weekly rhythm. So one of the things that we're trying to do that we've started recently is we bought an instant pot, which I bought oh, for Oh, we did too. <laughs> and ah. you can make these great group meals. And I'm like, look, all of our friends come over on Sundays around 4.30 or 5. We're going to make a dinner. Come over, eat food, like bring something if you want. But oh, I love that. Our house, I mean, we have we have some space. Um, our house is going to be the place and we're just going to invite our friends and like say, we want you to be here. We'd love you to be here every week if you can make it. Now, like stuff pops up, but if it's in our rhythm to think, okay, Sunday evenings, we're having people over. Let's cook. Let's clean up the house. Our house is a giant mess after, but it's mm-hmm. it's worth it because it just builds into our routine that that's when we see friends and it it, it lets us not go the whole weekend without seeing friends. So that might be something that. to try. And so and it can look totally different, but maybe there's just like the day or and even if it's every week you're going to call your friend that you don't see. Whatever it is, if you can mm-hmm. ritualize it and make it part of your routine, I think it's more sustainable. Um I've also gone out on like a lot of really bad friend dates. I don't know if you have <laughs> too, but sometimes it's like dating for a romantic partner and like yeah. it doesn't always work out, you know? And it's yeah. It's so okay. I want to know more about these friend dates. Like, are these with folks you already know and want to get to know better, or are you like randomly inviting people that you meet to to do something and like trying to make a new friend, or how does it usually go? Well, I think I have refined my process. So I used to do the more one on one, like let's go have a beer kind of thing, and it usually was someone mm-hmm. I had met through work, a colleague, or mm-hmm. like you know mm-hmm. someone at an organization where we might have overlap. And then I'd be like, oh, I kind of like this person. You know, let's go out. And I would spend the time to go out and spend the money to go out. Uh, I don't do that anymore as much because mm-hmm. I don't have the time or really the money to do that. Yeah. So that's what I've started. That's why when we have these group gatherings, that's kind of like the testing oh, ground for me. When I've yeah. met someone, I say, hey, we're having people over do you want to come over to our house and have dinner? And if they say yes, it's no big thing because we're already planning it. And if they yep. say yes and they don't show up, I'm like, well, we're still having a thing. Um, and if they do come, it's like, hey, you get to know me and you get to know my other friends. And what I love is in these gatherings when friends are like, they're making plans with each other. I love yes. that. That's so great. I'm yeah. like, my friends are becoming friends with each other. I just, I love connecting people. So I kind of get a high from that so I, I guess friend group dates are now the yeah thing. <laughs> yeah because there's less of an investment of time when you have more people 
Yeah, I love that. And you are good at connecting people because you connected. This is a this is a tip I have is asking your friends to connect you to their friends that they think you'd get along with. Mm-hmm. And you connected me to our friend Anne, yes. um, who lives, well, she doesn't live in my city. She's about three hours away from me, unfortunately. But um, I go there a lot for work. And so um, she and I have become good friends. And now when I go for work, I look her up and we um, will usually like meet up or something. Um, and she's actually done some work for my organization. And it's awesome. I think that's a really great way to meet people is to let folks who know you and who know who you'd get along with, like, to set you up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Be thinking about who do I know where. Just, like, when you're networking or trying to find a romantic date. Just Honestly, help your friends yes. out. Yeah. And then, like, for me, a big part of it is I have to say yes. Like, my inclination sometimes is to be a little more introverted and a little more, like, of a hermit and to kind of get in a rut. And so um, I have to remember, like, if somebody invites me to do something, I need to say yes. Yeah. Because if they invite me and I say no, then um, especially if I'm trying to make a new friendship, that just shuts it down before it even gets a chance to start. And you can't expect people to keep inviting you to things if you always turn it down. So um, I know I just said that we can't do a whole lot with the baby. But I can one-on-one, like Pat and I can do things. Mm-hmm. We can't necessarily both go to things right, all the time. Right, right. You can take turns. with enough, yeah, we take turns. And with enough notice, I can go to stuff. Um, and so can he. I have these great friends that I met. They when I, when I lived in Nashville, I lived in a duplex, like an old house that had been converted into two apartments. And I remember I had some neighbors that moved in below me. And the very first night they moved in, they came upstairs, knocked on the door, introduced themselves, invited me down for a beer. Nice. Like, yes, yes. And I was just the whole time I was like, oh, these people are so cool. Like, I can't <laughs> believe they had the guts to just, like, knock on the door. And I've always been there. Like, I'm still friends with them. We don't live in the same city anymore, but I'm still friends with them. And um, we had a great couple of years together when we lived in the same house. Like, that was one of my favorite times was yeah. when I lived next door to a couple of my favorite friends. And then we got together all the time. And we were also um, like close, you know? And so, yeah, that was maybe the closest I've ever come to my commune. (laughs) Yeah. What I like about the, though, and this is how I aspire to be is to err on the side of being the overly generous hospitality focused one Yeah, and quit Mm -hmm. waiting for other people to be that. Yep. And just, and that works for me. It doesn't work for everybody, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be really upfront with people and say, Hey, I like you. Come hang out at my house. We're going to have dinners on Sundays. I would love for you to be part of that. And if people don't get that or don't need that or don't want that, I'm learning to just be okay with that and feel like I'd rather err on the side of just being generous and and offering the invitation. I have learned, though, I do not hang around with folks who say, oh, we should hang out and like refuse to make specific plans. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. I don't have space for you in my life. If you cannot make a specific plan with me, then you're not actually being authentic about wanting to spend time with me and you're not really my friend. So, and I'm like, that's cool. We can be acquaintances or or whatever, but I'm not going to continue to try to pin you down to actually spending time together. So that's one of my pet peeves is like, don't do that to people. If you don't actually want to hang out, don't say you do. Yeah, and if you're like, always kind of waiting for something better like a better offer or opportunity or whatever to come along like I yeah no if you want to hang out with me we're gonna make the plans and that to me is one of the biggest um 
I guess, pieces of advice is like being willing to schedule something. Like some folks just refuse to schedule anything because mm. they want to like wait to see what's going on. Cannot, or, cannot. Yeah, like no, if you want to see me, I have you have a 100% better chance of getting me there if you give me a couple days to like work my schedule around it. So let's like say Thursday night we're going to go out to dinner. Commit. Or Saturday. Yes, commit. Let's get it on the calendar. Let's not like dance around this. And I think that's something that has helped me, though, is to re- to kind of look at my, the friendships that I do have and understand that not everybody is going to fill every friendship role. Like, I have some folks that are, like, my friends who I call for, like, activism-y stuff. I know they're always mm-hmm. down to, like, march and rally, but not, you know, not everybody. That's their cup of tea. And I have, like, my girlfriend who wants the good one-on-one conversation yeah. and, then, like, the friends we can go take our kids to do stuff with their right, kids. Right. And they all kind of fill little different roles. And so taking the pressure off of one set of friends or one group of friends to be kind of everything yeah. has helped mm-hmm. because it's just, you know, tempering our expectations when we get older is just maybe part of it, of what friends are. And that is a nice connection back to something that Jan Todd asked in our patron group yeah. on Facebook, which was, do we choose friends who are just like us or do opposites attract? And how do you navigate the challenges of being a good friend when you might not agree on everything with somebody else? Is that something that you've thought about? It's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot in this current political climate. <sighs> yeah. Um, I don't have a good, <laughs> I don't have a good answer. I mean, I have experience with it and I wish I had, I had a better answer, but um, I've actually really struggled to make new friends in Mississippi in this particularly hostile era um, because I feel afraid to sort of be my authentic self and my Mm. authentic self is pretty liberal in a pretty red area and I I don't feel really safe uh, most of the time to just sort of be who I am all the time um, with new people. And so I tend to hold a lot back until I've gotten a sense of who somebody is and what they're open to and how accepting they are and things like that, mm-hmm. um, especially in the religious circles down here, too. Like, I, yeah. it's really sad that I can't just, like, I can't just operate on the shared understanding that, like, LGBTQ folks deserve equality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to me, that should be, like, that. that's, that's a deal breaker a type yeah. thing for me. Um, if you want to be my friend, and unfortunately, I live in an area where that's not a commonly shared belief. That's not a universal value. So I have to like go the extra mile to seek out folks that um, that are on the same page with me. So for me, I, I haven't, I don't have a good like simple answer for this. Um, it's very much case by case when I meet people. I just kind of suss them out and see where they fall on things and um, decide if I feel comfortable enough to sort of share myself with them and so there's just got to be a lot of uh, like foundational trust building first mm-hmm. um and yeah, I you I know that. I don't have a whole lot of time to make friends with people yeah who are down this the might road. not be find your out time. like yeah <laughs> this might not be your moment um yeah so I have actually sort of softened on this because I I hear what you're saying and completely agree and for my really close friends we do align politically especially with the kinds of work that you and I do it it's it's really hard for people to really yeah. know who we are if they don't agree with the work that we do that's that's hard yeah. um but for me I have really 
become friends with people who are a lot more conservative than me because the thing that has brought us together is not politics or religion. So I've made friends with people, for example, at the gym where I teach. And our thing is that we get along really well. We like to work out and we have fun together and we have the same sense of humor. And those might seem like trivial things, but when you see the same people all the time, that mm-hmm. establishes a friendship over time. And mm-hmm. and what I've found is sometimes they'll say things and I have to go, okay, how can I ask them a question that might cause them to think about what they just said in a different way? And, yeah. and, and how I think of it is who were the people who helped me move along the spectrum Uh, Mm -hmm. theologically, politically, who asked me probing questions, who were patient enough to kind of hang in there with me as I evolved, because I definitely have had my own evolution and it continues. So it's been a challenge for me. And I've I've started to get really good at asking thoughtful questions (laughs) when those things happen. I mean, I'm working on it because I think asking the thoughtful question can be a way, one, for me to understand the other person better, but also to ask them to think about why they just said that thing. And yeah. and that can, I hope, will plant a seed and we can continue on as friends. Um, but I have to stop myself because there are some things that I just have a total knee-jerk reaction to. And I think, yeah. like, for me, I see myself as a Christian-passing white middle-income woman, straight woman who's married, like I can pass, passing. I can pass in a lot of circles that other folks who are truly vulnerable cannot. And like, I yeah, can do some true. of the emotional work. And I'm just saying for me where I am right now, I can do yeah. some of the emotional work of picking apart some of those, um, what I would find problematic viewpoints by just asking thoughtful questions and encouraging people to think and sharing my experience. So I feel like I can do some of that work. Um, and you know, like I said, it's it's small. It's very tiny little steps and, and maybe two steps forward or one step forward, two steps backward sometimes. But I don't know. I like these folks for other reasons. And I'm like, maybe we all need to think about what bridges we're willing to cross sometimes mm-hmm. and be open to being changed by the relationships that we find ourselves in. Yeah, I love that. And I think it kind of ties back into like the seasons of friendships, like right now having the capacity to to go into friendships with a more like open hearted mind you are in survival mode girl oh gosh (laughs) well yeah yeah and so I don't know that gives me something to um think it gives me a lot of food for thought what you just said and it also gives me something to sort of like aspire to a little bit down the road um when when I am sort of in more of a place where I could just start making new friends where I go um and letting that, I don't know, just, just keeping that same kind of open heartedness about it. Yeah. Cause I think it's not you're easy. Right. It, no, it's not easy. Um, but it is where like change starts too, is with like relationships and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And friendships. So it's important work for sure. And I don't want to overstate what I'm doing. I think it's just a matter of learning how to deal with the knee jerk reaction that comes of someone saying something that's really polar opposite to what I believe and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how do I keep the conversation going and not shut it down. It's a skill that I'm having to cultivate. Um, And really, after after the election, when we started Kindreds, I had this really clear conviction that 
some of the work that I could do would be to build relationships with white evangelical Christians. And I just happened to find myself or spirit put me in the way of people who identify that way. Maybe just because of that, I've tried harder to keep an open mind and an open heart. And and I genuinely love these folks. Like they're good friends, you know, in a lot of ways they're, they're people who, who add a lot to my life. So it's worth me hanging in with them. I don't see them Mm. as a project, you know, it's like, we're just trying to figure each other out and figure life out. It's just, it's interesting. I love this conversation and I feel like there's a lot, um, you know, we hear these conversations among our friends all the time about how hard it is to make friends and maintain friends in adulthood. And so I hope that we've, you know, covered some things that people can relate to and maybe given some people some, some, uh, inspiration yeah, <laughs> or if, some, some ideas. I yeah, don't know. And if y'all have other ideas that you want yeah. us to share, we can do an update later and if, in like a next episode. So send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com or you can tweet at me at Katie's A. And we'll, um, we'd love to read what you think. And if you have great tips that we can share with our audience, we would love to because there's just two of us and y'all are super smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. So Ashley, in the midst of all of your navigating your life with a baby, have you been managing to read or listen to anything? I, well, so here's what happened. I can't handle social media right now. Ah. It's not good for my mental health. Okay. So I deleted Facebook off my phone oh, nice. and I've really like decreased my internet consumption. And in order to balance that out, I've been going back to the library and nice. getting real actual books. And so I've been mm, reading a lot lately. <laughs> it's, I know. It's nice. I forget. Um, you know, I had this moment where I was like, you know, I say I don't have time to read, but I really just spent an hour like scrolling Instagram. Right. Like I, that is such an excuse. So I went to the library. I got a couple of books. I've read some great stuff. I've got like a few episodes worth wow, of what I'm reading you. content under my belt. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to share this one uh, that I just finished last week called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Yes. Have you read it? Yes. It's amazing. So first of all, he um, is the director of the Equal Justice Initiative, which is, um, I think it was Atlanta-based. I can't remember if it's Alabama or Atlanta-based, but um, it's an organization that provides uh, free legal defense for people who can't afford it, especially like death row inmates and um, and juveniles in the uh, that have been um, put into the adult justice system. And this this book number one reads like a John Grisham novel. Mm. I mean, it's it's as engaging and um, it's got as good of like pace and story as fiction but it, the sad fact is that it's it's all true and um so the the book is basically about um the author's experiences uh getting um unfairly tried and convicted inmates off of death row um so either either getting their sentence if they're if they're still found guilty either getting their sentences um turned into a life imprisonment or um getting them off altogether because either they were so poor they couldn't afford um, any real legal defense um, and so they were unfairly convicted and later found um, to be innocent Um, or folks who just were like wrong place wrong time and the victims of like our very uh, punitive justice system that like needs to see somebody go down for this crime so we're gonna this guy right here he'll do you know and um, Mm -hmm. it that 
It it was a it was an incredible book. It was very eye opening for me. Um, he really goes into like the mass incarceration and ha- kind of how we got here as a country. And uh, what I love about it is he ends the book with like ways you can get involved and volunteer and raise money and like issues um, that are related that you can get that you can be a part of. And um, I just really I highly recommend it. Um, and yeah, so that's Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Yeah, it's been a while since I read that book, but I had a very similar reaction to reading it. And on to another book that I think is such a quick read and so good and could be fiction, but is not, is Pure by Linda K. Klein. And the subtitle is Inside the Evangelical Movement That Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. I mean, what a title. Uh, it should be out by the time we release this episode. I'm reading an oh, advanced awesome. copy because I'm so fancy. Um, you are fancy. And I actually met, uh, or we talked talk to, I shouldn't say met, I talked to Linda K. Klein. Ashley Easter connected me with her. You might remember her from episode oh, yeah. 15. Um, mm-hmm. She said, you've got to meet Linda. And we had this amazing conversation where she told me about her life story. And then I'm getting to read about it now. But uh, she goes into her own uh, experience of being in purity culture. Um, but, but beyond that, she talks to all of her friends who grew up in that culture, like 10 to 15 years later when they've grown Mm. into their adulthood. And she interviews them about how purity culture messed with them in so many different ways. Um, everything from women who thought that they couldn't be as smart or as successful as they as they were because it wouldn't attract a man to um mm-hmm. you know dealing with the fallout of really violent rape and how their family wouldn't um wouldn't get behind them and support them through it uh Linda has this amazing experience well not amazing it's horrifying experience of having Crohn's disease that went undiagnosed for years because she felt like she had to put on this facade of that good Christian girl who just took her suffering and didn't complain so it it also connects back to episode 21 about women in pain I thought a lot about that as I was reading about um when she would go to the doctor and they say well you you could never look that happy if you really were that sick what? Um, yeah, it will infuriate you. And <sighs> but she's she is such an amazing storyteller, and she does this wonderful pastoral work of going back to the women that grew up in this culture with her and asking mm-hmm. them about what their experiences are. And they're so anxious to tell their stories because mm-hmm. they've been bottling this up for so long. Um, it's really excellent. I highly recommend it. It will remind you of episode seven, our dating rules episode, where we talked about purity culture there and how um, just how messed up it is. And let me tell you one more thing about this book. I thought I talked about purity culture and women rise up that's coming out this fall, but she goes there in such like a raw way and just, I mean, she just goes for it. Like it's just no holds barred. Like she just calls it what it is. There's no dancing around it. Um, And what she says is purity culture is not just a religious movement. It is about how we treat women in this culture, period. Like, and how the church has benefited from it um, from like a capitalistic standpoint of selling all these purity rings and books and stuff. But it's really ingrained in our entire culture. So no matter how you grew up, this has impacted you. Uh, So go pick it up. It's pure by Linda K. Klein. 
Oh, that sounds amazing. You know, doing that episode seven of Dating Rules, that was a really cathartic episode for me. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like um, that's one where we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners as well about like, me too, that happened. I totally remember that. And, um, you know, talking about like the True Love Weights movement and all of that stuff. Yes. That was, looking back at that I can definitely pinpoint it as one of the most damaging messages I ever got from the church and one of the um, things that led me into a lot of unhealthy relationship patterns and um, like self self uh, care like um, like really affected my ability to see myself as worthy of love and yes. self care and that I can't wait to read this book <laughs> I am so excited you got to read it um, yeah. Uh, yay. <laughs> yay. It will infuriate you and it will make you feel less isolated because yay. you see how widespread this was and how, yeah, I mean, just the machine of, mm-hmm. of the church and the capitalistic part of the church just infiltrating our minds. So gross. You know, it makes me yeah. think like, where do they get all these, how do they get all these adult leaders to agree to this? There must've been conferences and stuff where they got trained in how to do this because it's so... Like the, the, the exercises are the same. The language is the same. It, even the metaphors are the same. It's like, what did they do to all these youth pastors to get, anyway, read the book, Pure, Linda K. Klein. We'll talk about it more because it's just a really, really important book. Um, and I guess I get the final word because. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's up, you. You're I'm up. up for kindreds of the moment so I could be a little less ragey for a second. Um, <laughs> so I, I mentioned at the top of the show that I started a new job, which I'm so excited about. I, Yay, congratulations. Yeah, I joined the team at Crouch and Associates. They're a performance consulting firm for nonprofits specifically around philanthropy and development. And um, I was hired to launch their Bright Dot Academy, which will be our online learning and professional development tool for nonprofit fundraisers. But I wanted to talk about them specifically because I am now back in a team and it has been the most amazing thing to be among a team of people who are, I mean, you and I are a team, obviously, but Mm -hmm. to be on another team with, we have 10 people, it feels like so many, 10 just amazingly smart, um, innovative not willing, I mean, willing to take risks, willing to, 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 you know, try something if it doesn't work, pivot. Um, it's just been beautiful and so supportive. And I've just been overwhelmed by, I've only been doing it for two weeks, but just how welcoming and supportive this team has been. And they're all willing to, to jump in and help me with this new project I'm launching. So it's been another great like connection and community for me already. And so, What I want to say is if you work for a nonprofit and you're looking for help around your development or fundraising, I cannot recommend this team more to you. So look them up, Crouch and Associates. Um, I'm on their team now, so you know you're working with good people. And um, we'd love to help you out. So um, let me know if I can help you connect with our team. They're just fantastic. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I feel like our last um, few episodes of uh, Kindreds of the Moments have led us into some kind of kind of like ragey and like <laughs> yeah. places. Yeah. So it was really nice to end on um, a really like fun and light and uplifting um, kindred of the moment. So yay. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. So that is it for today. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about this is fun. This was uh, the second um, second vote for our poll on our Facebook page. We're going to be talking about meditation, prayer and all the spiritual practices that we use to connect to our inner voices and our higher power. Oh, goodness. So looking I'm going to have to go it. start doing some of those, I guess. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk to you all then. Right, talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 